How many of you, when you were growing up, watched cartoons? Anybody? Okay, thank you. I don't know what you watched, but I remember watching all kind of cartoons growing up. Uh, some were better than others. Uh, some of them had been around for a long time. One of the longest-running cartoons, and it was actually in papers and actually on TV for a long time, uh, was, uh, was this guy. Uh, you remember him? <clears throat> Popeye the Sailor Man? Uh, he wasn't exactly probably the greatest role model in the world. But as a child, I found him fascinating because often what it, with, with, with Popeye, he, he always took care of his woman. Who was her, what was her name? Olive oil. You remember that. Some of you, you know, showing your age here. Actually, Popeye was actually still on TV in 2004. Uh, it started in 1929, I found out in the, in the newspapers as a cartoon. It's been a long time, 1929 to 2004, and they're still around on other places as well. But Popeye the Sailor Man, he didn't have great grammar either, but he did some things that were very, was very um, interesting, and he said some words that are still probably you remember. Because remember when he would uh, get a, against his nemesis, who early on his name was Blue Toe, and then later on they changed it to Brutus, and then he changed it back to Blue Toe. That was the big burly guy that he always fought, uh, that was always, uh, for some reason, Olive Oil could never figure out how to get away from him. And uh, he would get to a place, and he would kind of put up with a lot of stuff, uh, Popeye would. We would get to the place where he, he, he basically had enough. And, he, and his famous uh, phrase at that point was, uh, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And if you remember that, that was a famous thing. And then what he would do, he would take and he would uh, pop open a can of spinach, uh, become superhuman, and his arms would look like this. This was the superhuman part of him. And then he would uh, take care of the bad guy because he couldn't stands no more. He'd had it up to here. Well, you know, the thing we're going to be talking about today is this whole thing of what is it in our lives that we can't stands no more? What is it that, that drives us, the passion, the thing that allows us to, that sometimes keeps us up at night, uh, not just about, you know, worrying about money, but I'm talking about the driving thing in life that maybe is the thing that more than anything else, that if you could do something about it, you would do something about it. When we think about famous people in the world, people like Mother Teresa, we know what her driving passion was, the homeless and, and the poor. Uh, she came to a place where she was actually a place in her life. She didn't start off being a person who went onto the streets of Calcutta and other places. But she started it, uh, at basically just doing some very basic things. And then she got to a place where she couldn't stand no more. I don't know if she said that. But she came to the place where she realized that there needed to be something done about the poor. And because of that, she started her own order, and, and then a lot of other people joined her. And over the years, she became somebody who was known because of that passion she had in her life. Martin Luther King, we know what his stands no more, I can't stands no more problem was. His thing was racial, racial reconciliation. He came to a place in his life where not only did he just see the problem, but he realized he needed to do something about the problem that was there. And he came to the place to where he was willing to lay down his life, which he literally did, for the issue of racial reconciliation. All of us, I believe, in our lives somewhere, may not be as deep as those, may not be as passionate as those, but we have things in our life that if we could do something about it, uh, we have this, uh, what Bill Hybels calls a holy discontent. This thing that drives us to become more and more the, uh, and do something about something in the world that we feel like it needs to be changed. I had an interesting conversation with my brother-in-law over the holidays. 
My brother-in-law teaches uh, Greek and New Testament at Grove City College in, uh, in Pennsylvania, Grove City, Pennsylvania. Before that, he was a professor at, uh, at Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston. A very articulate, uh, intelligent man. But a few years ago, and if, uh, since I've been here actually in 2004, he went through a period of life where he uh, had cancer. Uh, and it got to, uh, this, to level three, and basically they said he had a 25% chance of making it through that. He's doing well. He's, re- he's in remission. He's doing well. But during that time, he shared with me that as we were talking this, a couple of weeks ago when, uh, in, in Virginia, he was sharing with me the driving passion in his life was something that he wrote a book about and actually had picked up a copy of that and read it, uh, a book that called Why Johnny Can't Preach. Uh, and it was an interesting book. He teaches not only New Testament and uh, Greek, he also teaches a, a class called Media Ecology. I didn't know what in the world is Media Ecology. It basically deals with how the media has shaped, our, uh, the cultural influences have shaped the way we learn, the way we think. And he's talking about in this little book about this why Johnny can't preach. He teaches something about that as well. And the thing was, and the driving passion was, is that in the world doing surveys, that the sad thing is in our world that 80% of the people who would leave a church on a Sunday morning, if you ask them two or three questions about the message, they couldn't answer the questions. One is, what was the main point? Now, you would hope that when you leave here, I hope when you leave here this morning, that you will have understand the main point. Secondly how that main point tied in with God's Word or how it came out of God's Word, out of Scripture. And thirdly, how to apply that teaching to your life. He said 80% of people in churches today cannot answer those three questions on a given Sunday morning as they walk out the door in surveys. And he talks, talks about in that book the reasons. And it became a passion for him to, to deal with it. And during this time when he had cancer for 11 months going through treatments and all the things he was going through, he wrote this book because he realized that he may not have another opportunity. He had this passion in his life. And sometimes we don't have to get to that point. Hopefully, he said to me as we talked a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, I, I really wish that it hadn't come to the point of realizing that I may not have enough time, so I better do something about it. He said, I've always had this passion. And all of us, I believe, have passions in our life, things that drive us, things that that cause us to lose sleep, things that cause us to change direction maybe in our lives. Last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about this whole thing of, of a vision to die for, that God has given us as Christians a bigger vision than what we need. We talked about the difference between pioneers and settlers. That God calls us to be pioneers, people who are uncivilized in a sense, people who, 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 have, who realize as like the pioneers of old as they took off across the country in, in the covered wagons. They had a vision to, about something that was down the road and it drove them in that direction. And they were willing to take risk and they were willing to live, live through hardships because of that, of that uh, pioneer spirit they had because there was something bigger. But then there's on the other end, there's settlers, people that after they got to the place where they were going, they kind of settled in and they focused inwardly on themselves and became, in a sense, content and lost the initiative they originally had in life. And and because of that, there's, in a sense, we used that same terminology last week to talk about how we as people, we as Christians have become, in a real sense, in the world, in America, become civilized. We become settlers. We become people who, in a a big sense, what we do is we get to a place, we get in a church, and we start focusing in on ourselves. We turn in small groups and look at each other instead of turning our chairs around and looking out. 
We come and we sit in rows on Sunday mornings and what we do is we, we focus our attention on us and on what we can learn and what can apply. And we need to start there, but it needs to drive us beyond that. We become civilized in a real sense. And we have the civilized view of Jesus that believes that, that what he came for was to protect us and his optimal goal is our safety, our comfort, our convenience. And I shared with you last week that it comes, it's all wrapped up in a theological statement that you and I have probably heard and maybe even have said that the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. And while that statement sounds so good, sounds so right, it's theologically corrupt. Because as we looked last week, In Scripture, in Matthew 11, and looked at the story of John the Baptist as he was in prison and he asked the question of Jesus. uh, He asked the question, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for somebody else? And he already knew who Jesus was. He was asking the question in a sense, why, Jesus? Why are you leaving me here? And Jesus was saying, hey, being a follower of Jesus does not always mean that everything is going to be safe and comfortable and easy. That maybe we created a religion in the, using the name of Jesus that taught people that God's optimal desire for you and for me is to live in this isolated bubble where we risk nothing, we sacrifice nothing, we lose nothing, and we worry about nothing. But Jesus' death on a cross is worth more than that. He, he died not to free us. Not simply to free us from dying, but he he died on a cross to free us from the fear of dying. So that we would die up front to ourselves so that we could live. And maybe what we need to be teaching people is the power of the church is really about inviting people to tell people that Jesus is going not going to necessarily just bless you and bless you and give you more and more and more. What we really need to say, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his mission. And Jesus Christ is worth, following Jesus Christ is worth dying to self for. And he wants us to throw ourselves at his feet. And if it means living a life where maybe there's some hardship, maybe there's some suffering, it's worth it because it's more important to live life with Jesus. Even if it's not perfect and, and, and it's not safe, maybe it's more like the pioneer spirit than it is to live life and have everything, all the stuff that we think is so important. That's what we talked about last week. And the reason that last week, some people came to me and said, where did that come from? Because I was a little passionate about last week. Uh, because let me tell you, that is my holy discontent. The area that where more than anything else, that, the, the thing that drove Vicki and I to come here to Illinois. And, and I didn't know it was going to be Illinois. It could have been somewhere else, truthfully. Because the thing was this, is that we had been in churches for approximately 20 years before we came here. I'd been on the staff of a church as a pastor of youth ministries and education that was our title and then i was a senior pastor of a of an older church that had that was uh and really since a dying church when we went there and i was senior pastor there for 13 years and during that whole time i began to have this holy discontent because the thing that drove me more than anything else the thing that still drives me more than anything else is to see churches ineffective in reaching people for christ thousands and thousands and thousands of churches across america who who were powered by the, the power of Jesus Christ and God's power in our lives, and we seem so ineffective and so turned inward on ourselves. We become so civilized. 
And I shared with you before that the reason that finally when God opened the door for me to come here, I didn't know, was, like I said, I didn't know it was going to be here. It could have been anywhere because we come to the place where God said to me, or I said to God, I said, God, I will go anywhere you want me to go. And, and he sent me to Germantown Hills. Boy. He didn't do it during the winter either. Uh, it was May when we got the call to come here, you know, and I thought, well, that's not too bad a place. May's pretty nice in Illinois. It's just December, January, February. And I still haven't recovered for the last eight years from the cold during this time of year. But the thing is this, for those of us who have accepted the, the, the call to follow Jesus Christ, we cannot live our lives in the material world. and We cannot put God in our little theological box. We must understand that we, as we talked about last week, we, we, are, we have this unseen battle. Between invisible kingdoms, the spiritual kingdoms, where people's lives are changed forever. And we aren't just about playing church and showing up on Sunday mornings and, and looking nice, you know, wherever we dress. I mean, if you consider this looking nice, I don't know. Um, but dressed, you know, however we're going to do. We're, it's not about that. It's about God working in us and changing us so that we can change the world. That's what it is to be part of the kingdom of God, to be a pioneer, to be uncivilized in a real sense. God doesn't want us to become too comfortable because when we become too comfortable, we start looking in on ourselves. And this has never become more apparent than recently in the life of Great Oaks. The reason I speak now of this, and I'll talk about this every year about vision and whatever, but it's because of this. For the last eight years up to this point, 2002 up till now, when I first came here, we have seen a pattern of reaching people in this community for Christ. We've had a continual process of growth. Numerically, and, and I believe uh, in people's lives, we've seen people's lives change constantly, and we're still seeing that. But that process has changed. You know, uh, uh, Jackie, I looked uh, at statistics from the uh, Admin Council. Our, we have a group called the Admin Council that oversees our finances. But they also have a report in there about how we're doing financially, which was, it was good for the last one. But the number that, it, that, really, uh, that really caught my attention was the fact that one of the, for the first time or the one of the first times in a long time, we saw actually a decline of 1%, a little over 1% in average attendance from this time last year. That's never happened in the history, at least the recent history of this church. And you know what's the first sign off? We're becoming settlers. We're becoming civilized. We've turned our chairs inward. And we look so much at each other that we forget about the fact that there's still thousands and thousands and thousands of people within a, just a small radius of this community who do not know Jesus Christ. So what do we do about it? You know, the, the church's mission is outlined clearly. We don't have to make up our mission. It's outlined clearly. We've said this thousands of times. It's outlined clearly in Matthew 22 where, where the uh, uh, teacher of the law asks Jesus, says, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he says to him, love the Lord your God with all of your strength, all your soul, all your mind. Love God with all you got. And then secondly, it says, if you do that, you will love your neighbor. As yourself. Love God, love people. And then we tie directly to that, Matthew 28, where as Jesus was leaving this earth, he was giving his final marching orders to his disciples. And he says, if you love God, if you love people, he says in Matthew 28, 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. God gives us clearly what we're supposed to be doing. And if you don't understand that, let me give you the condensed version of it. Because when Jesus was having a conversation with a guy named Zacchaeus, who was, if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school as a kid, you know the little song. And you're singing it in your mind right now, aren't you? I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? But it's a song about a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Uh, anyway, Zacchaeus, and he comes to the end of the conclusion of this, this, this conversation with Zacchaeus. And in Luke 19, 10, Jesus gives the summation, the mission statement of his life. For the Son of Man, talking about himself, came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came, Jesus came to seek and to save. He's on a search and rescue mission. It's not about being civilized. It's not about being settled. It's not about being comfortable. It's not about staying in a building where it's always warm, even though we like it this morning. It's about search and rescue because there are people who are dying and they will go to a place called hell if we do not care. And he's chosen to, chosen to use you and me as this tools in this world. I love what Jesus has to say about the importance of this mission and how we should approach it. This mission that he gives us is I was reading John chapter 10 uh, this past week, and this is in your outline as well there. It's, it, he says this. It says, Jesus illust- he illustrates a level of commitment to the mission that he has, this mission of seeking and saving which was lost. And he uses this illustration. Jesus was a master teacher. He didn't just say a point, but he illustrated it in a way that would let you understand it clearly. And he says it this way. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He is saying, my mission is so important that I'm going to risk my life for it. Jesus did. He laid his life down. But the thing is, he says, this is our mission. See, when you're a follower of Christ, we have the same mission, exactly the same mission that Christ has. To seek and save that which is lost. We use a phrase here at Great Oaks, we help people take their next step towards God. And the first step that people have to have towards God is to understand that they are lost. And guess what? It doesn't happen inside of a building. Usually it'll happen in their home or in the neighborhood or in their school or, or at their business or wherever it happens to, they may happen to be at the time. People understand that or begin to understand and we have to help them understand that they are lost. And the thing that God tells us more than anything else, he says, if we own the vision, he talks the difference between owners and hired hands here. If you're an owner of the vision, you're willing to lay down your life. You're willing to focus your attention intently upon the mission. But if you're just a hired hand, if you just kind of show up every once in a while, if you become settled... Well, you know, whenever the going gets tough, guess what happens? You get going, but not in the right direction. And God tells us that we're to be like like the owners. We're to own the vision that God has for us as a church. Last week we talked about our personal vision, that being a Christian is not about being a settler. This week we're talking about this whole thing of what it means to be a part of the church. The church's mission, and you are the church. People are the church. And in understanding that, clearly what we have to understand is that we're to be owners of God's vision, 
to seek and save that which was lost and not just hired hands who kind of like show up and then kind of, you know, go home. This is just part of who we are. You know, I want us to kind of change. Right now, I mean, a lot of people in our world are concerned about their jobs. Some of you are probably concerned about your jobs, right? I know I've talked to some of you. And while your jobs are hugely important and your job, ultimately, you know what your big job is? To seek and save that which is lost. Paul called it being a tent maker. He did whatever he did on the side to make enough money to live so that he could do his main job. God has called all of us into the job of seeking and saving that which is lost because that is the only thing that's going to last for eternity. I mean, we can make all the money in the world, have all the good stuff. You know, just like the Pharaohs and when they die, they put them in a tomb and it's still there until somebody stole it. The only thing that will last in this world is people who are redeemed, who are reconciled with God, who take their next step towards God. And God has given us the mission to seek and save that which was lost. I had a few years ago, I thought it was interesting. I'm going to sit down. Is that all right? Okay. Uh, A few years ago, um, when I first came to Illinois, I had an interesting experience. I was down at Eastport Marina. You know where that's at? Down the road here? Uh, Cool place, especially in the summer. Uh, I was down there, and uh, we'd eaten dinner. Back then, it was Famous Dave's Barbecue, right? It was still down there. And we'd eaten dinner down there that night. It was a nice, I think it was July. And we'd come out of the uh, place from eating dinner. And we were taking a walk. Vicky and I were taking a walk with some other friends uh, down by the boats. And back then, there was, I mean, that time of year, there's lots of boats tied up at the dock there. And there's lots of really cool boats. And as we were taking our walk by there, we were thinking, man, it would be cool to have a boat. And as we were walking by, this one boat had a for sale sign on it. Just happened to be the largest boat down there. And after actually sitting uh, on the dock in the boat were the couple uh, who owned the boat. And we started a conversation with them. And it was an interesting conversation because they had this huge boat. I don't know how big it was. It was huge. And uh, we started a conversation, uh, uh, you know, about their boat for sale. Not like we were really interested in the boat. The boat cost more than our house. Literally, it did. And uh, we had this conversation. Said, Come on board, show you the boat. Uh, you have one of those boats. You walk in, you walk down and down into the place. It had bedroom down there and uh, kitchen, all kind of stuff. Man, it was huge. I'm talking about a big boat. I don't know if it's called a yacht or not, but it was a small yacht. Okay. And, and as we were down there, I was talking to him, and I said, "Well, why do you decide to sell it?" You know, they were sitting there. You know, nice day, enjoying. Says, "Well, we decided after we hadn't been out in about two years." that it was probably time to sell it because we just didn't really, you know, didn't really enjoy it as much as we used to. And, and we didn't really see a lot, uh, you know, real need to keep the boat. And I'm going, wow, you must have a lot of money to be able to sit this gigantic boat here and pay all this stuff for this dock because, you know, and, and they were sitting there and that was their reasoning. They had had this huge boat tied up to a dock. And it was interesting too, that laying on the boat, I remember this, laying on the boat was these rings. You know, the life rings you throw out when you rescue people? And tied it to it was a rope, but it was the name of the boat on there. And I was wondering, had they ever used that life, you know, that ring? They had ever tossed the ring? Because it's supposed to be when you rescue somebody out in the water, the Coast Guard uh, does that. And, you know, sometimes you could do that, toss the ring out, and, and you pull in the people in with the, with the ring. And, it, and I'm thinking it was pristine and obviously had never been used. And I was thinking, what a waste of resources. Here it is, this humongously expensive, great boat sitting at the dock, not been out in two years. 
I guess they'd taken it up during the winter and put it in the whatever they do with it and stuck it back down there in the water. They were sitting there, you know, with the dock, comfortable, satisfied. Had a life ring on there. And you never know, you know, if they'd have been out somewhere. Uh, the thing about, about, uh, about boats I found is this. You know, I, I, it made me to start wondering about this whole thing, about this mentality. So I started, I did some research recently on yacht clubs. Do you know what, where several yacht clubs began, what they began as? Search and rescue groups. Not everyone now. But some yacht clubs actually began years ago as groups of people who were interested in the water, who had boats. And prior to the Coast Guard and the organizations that were more organized, they would be the ones when somebody had a problem in the water, they'd go out and deal with the search and rescue groups. But over a period of years, what happened, and if you look at the history, and you can read the history online of some of these yacht clubs, what happened is, is over the years, their mission changed from being a search and rescue group to meet a group of people sitting around at the clubhouse with their chairs focused inward on themselves. You see, I believe a lot of believers are just like the yacht clubs. We're parked at the marina. And we don't go out in the deep water where people are really drowning. Too many of us are just, you know, happy with our little groups, focused. One of the things I want to to share with you is that we are in the process of reevaluating how we do small groups here. Because we don't want small groups to become holy huddles. You know what a holy huddle is? You come, you sit, you enjoy one another, you go home, you do nothing. Because we're not about information or education because so often that's what we... We live in an information age. There's lots of information out there. And so often what I see in, in a lot of small groups and even in a lot of places, we have this kind of information or education mindset. We need to be transformational. It needs to be something that helps us to learn what God wants us to do and then to go out and do it. So we're reevaluating. This whole process of what it means to be a small group and how we even do small groups. We still believe in the small group process, but we believe it needs to be shaped in a different way. Because the thing is, the Bible says, in a sense, and this is what the title of of the message is today, the ring is the thing. The rescue ring of going out and searching and rescuing people is the thing that we're supposed to be about. The reason that God blesses churches and he's blessed Great Oaks for the last 12 years of its history is because the ring has been the thing. The rescue, the search and rescue purpose has been that which we've been focused upon. Because let me tell you, you can do all the other purposes of the church in the church, but the one thing you cannot do in the church is go out and do search and rescue. Reach people for Christ. You can do worship in a building. You can do discipleship where you learn, and uh, at least part of it in a building. You can do fellowship in a building. You can even serve one another in a building. But you can't reach the lost in a building. And what we need to understand is God has given us this mission to seek and save that which is lost, which is the mission of Jesus Christ. And he says that is what we're to be doing. The life ring symbolizes what Jesus did for us. God threw us out the life ring and offered us something that we did not deserve, but needed the most. We talked about that during the Christmas season. 
And the thing that we need to understand, the thing that I think we've talked about many, many times is this, the radically rescued, those of us who have been rescued from Je- by Jesus Christ need to be out radically rescuing others. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That will keep us. Let me tell you, I've been in all kinds of churches over the years. I've been in this church, which has been a growing church. I've been in the church I was at for 13 years, which was when I came there, it was a dying church. We went through a period of growth and then kind of stagnation because we began to focus and focus our attention upon ourselves again. And I understand this. As long as you have people motivated on reaching people in the community for Christ, you don't have anybody grumbling. You don't have time. But when we begin to focus on ourselves and says, my needs aren't being met, that is when people begin the process of grumbling and we lose focus on what we're to be doing in the life of the church. So the question that we always have before us is this, is, is, is who are we reaching? You know, it's always been a good question because one of the things that I look at each year is not how many new people we have, but who are we reaching? Are we reaching people who came from other churches or are we reaching the unchurched? And there's been a pretty good balance of that over the years at Great Oaks. We've reached a lot of people. Some of you had no background whatsoever. Maybe you had been in church for years and years and years, and you showed up at Great Oaks and began to explore what it means to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ. And that was one of the purposes early on, that the, talking to the people who began to plant, who planted Great Oaks years ago. It, the purpose of that group was this, was to reach the community, the unchurched in the community for Christ. So often we see churches growing in our world today. We look around and we have to ask ourselves, who are we reaching? One of my good friends in Virginia who is at a church who numerically has grown, he's disturbed because the largest number of the people by far that they have, that they have reached is people from other churches. Now, if you came from another church, we do accept you. Okay? But I'm going to tell you, you're not our target. Because we don't need to shift sheep from one group to another. We need to get a group together, focus on the mission, and reach the unchurched because over 50% of the people in this region either have never had a relationship with Christ or currently are, not, are disconnected from any church anywhere. 50% never go anywhere. Don't tell me we don't have people. Yeah, we got some new churches around that are growing. Some other places that are reaching people. But the majority of churches are not reaching people. That is, the, that is the holy discontent that I have because I believe that I know this. I do not want to waste my life going through the motions. And I don't believe you do either. I don't really believe deep down that you want to just show up at church on Sunday morning, sit here, hear something, go home, not affect your life. If that's all you're going to do, you won't be here very long. Because it's not worth doing that. It's just another thing on your calendar. Just another thing to do. And I believe you believe this is the way to it as well. Because it says in scripture in Acts 4.12. When Peter and John were going through the processes of of, of reaching people and sharing the faith. It says this about them. It says in Acts 4.12. Peter and John says this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It says this. This is not just simply this. Is not simply an option. It is the only option. That really matters. That Jesus Christ is the only way. And that we have to reach people. We have to toss out the rescue ring to people. And we have to do it by getting out in the water and going out to where they are. 
The interesting thing about this, though, is we sometimes think it takes lots of training and lots of, uh, you know, well, no, we talked about that last week. The, you know, the uncivilized, the, the, uh, the, uh, the pioneers go and use what they have. And it says in Acts 4.13, this is what it says about Peter and John after they say the salvation is found in no one else. It says this, when the people, when the leader, church leaders saw that the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished at what they did. And the reason they astonished, they said they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Folks, you know, let me tell you something. If you've been a believer for one day, you have enough information to go out and toss the ring. To alpha somebody, God will give you the opportunities if you allow him to. Next week, we'll begin a series for three weeks talking about how to prepare ourselves for not missing opportunities. And guess what the first step is? Prayer. We're going to be talking about Colossians. In Colossians, it says, it says, make the most of every opportunity. But before that, what it says is how we do that is to be in prayer mode. And where we're in prayer mode, we see people as Jesus sees people. But if we're just in, I don't know what the other mode is, crazy mode that we live in, hectic mode, busy mode. What happens when we do that, what happens is, is that we lose sight and we forget about the people that are around us that need to know Jesus Christ. Now, some of you this morning, as I close, will say, okay, that's, that's great, Pastor. I appreciate that. I'm going to pray about it. Don't. Let me tell you why. You don't, you, need to, you don't need to pray about something that God's already commanded you to do. You either obey it or you don't do it. And not because I said it, because Jesus goes back in Matthew 28. It says, the command is, therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples. We are either going to be obedient to that or we're going to be disobedient to that. That's our options. You don't need to pray about it. Maybe you need to pray about your attitude about that, but not about is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. You and I need to understand, and I want to tell you, I'm committed to this. I came here uh, eight years ago with a commitment of let's reach this community. And this means like this broad community for Christ. If it means making changes along the way, readjusting things, paring things down, pruning things, doing whatever it takes. We're not just going to go do church as usual. Because I tell you, in America, church as usual usually means dying. And that's not what it's about. So I ask you, are you going to be a part of the search and rescue team? If you're not, you will not be comfortable here at Great Oaks. <laughs> and I know people don't like to hear this, but if you don't want to, if you just want to come, sit on Sunday morning in a row, get some information, go home, and your life not changed, find you someplace else. Because before long, you'll be uncomfortable. But if you want to be challenged, if you want to reach and you want to grow and you want to see lives change and you want to see the people around you become different people because you're willing to use whatever resources you have, whatever abilities you have to reach people for Christ, God will take, take that and you'll live the most spectacular life as a pioneer that you've ever lived. Won't be perfect, won't be up, you'll be up and down, there'll be tough times, but it's the life to live. I want to guarantee that. That's why I'm in Illinois. To me, this is mission work. (laughs) Don't take that wrong. Uh, But the issue is, is, you know, it's not comfortable. 
Man, it's really not comfortable today. Because I got out this morning, it was minus six when I walked out the door. That is not comfortable. But God didn't talk, talk, tell us to go down to Florida, as my in-laws are. My, my mother-in-law called me yesterday and said it was 38 degrees, and she was whining. And I was going, oh, how sad. Had no compassion whatsoever for that. Folks, the ring is the thing. We are called to be on mission for God. We as a church are to rescue the people. God wants to use us to rescue those in our community who do not know Jesus Christ. He wants to take us and help us to make changes in people's lives that will make eternal differences in who they are. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org. 